Welcome to the Ridley College Chapel podcast. Our mission is to equip men and women for God's mission in a rapidly changing and increasingly complex world. For more information, visit ridley.edu.au. We'll be reading from Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 to 16, and that's on page uh, 1203 of your Bibles. Uh, Before I read, let me pray for us. Living God, thank you that you speak to us today. Please help us to love your word and to listen to it. Amen. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said, so I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is alive and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Well, good morning. It's great to be with you and to be able to share God's word with you today. My son, uh, Lachlan, 
does indoor rock climbing for a hobby. Uh, this is not a risk-free activity. Uh, he's seen the paramedics called to the facility where he climbs when people have fallen and landed rather badly. So he takes care to climb safely. He wears his harness, he's done his training, he always climbs with a partner who belays the rope as he makes his way up 14 metres of vertical wall. And if he falls, the rope, the harness, the partner do their part and they'll catch him. Last week he uh, did a thing called endurance climbing where he does one climb up to the top and then goes back down again and then no recovery time, starts climbing again. And the whole point of this is to push the muscles to the point of fatigue where they stop working. So his grip strength, he says, I feel my fingers just stopping and I feel the lactic burn in my muscles and, and I just have to let go and fall. You can only persevere so long before falling back. And that's the issue that Hebrews is addressing. It's not rock climbing performance, but the trajectory of our spiritual lives. Put a Christian under enough pressure and they will fall or shrink back. So in today's passage, verse 1 says, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of the promised rest we're heading for. And verse 11, make every effort to enter rest so that no one will perish that word, Greek students, pipto, is fall. Make sure none of you will fall through disobedience. Throughout Hebrews, the author repeatedly warns his readers, don't drift away, chapter 2, don't turn away, chapter 3, don't fall away, chapter 6, don't shrink back, chapter 10, don't fall short, chapter 12. The Christian life is not risk-free. There is a danger of falling. And the kind of pressure particularly that seems to have been brought to bear on the Christians that the writer addresses is reflected in chapter 10. So those of you who are good at quick flip, chapter 10, verses 32 to 34. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you endured a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So many of their social markers of identity and security were being threatened confiscation of their property, loss of status as they were shunned by patrons or family and friends because of their faith, perhaps even imprisonment. If you put a Christian under enough pressure, they might fall. What about you and me? What's your experience of the Christian life been? Ever onwards and upwards, one victory after another? Every day, just a little bit more godly and a little bit more holy. <laughs> hmm. When I first entrusted my life to Christ, I went through a period of 
deep, deep joy and excitement at what I was discovering in God's word and, and some of my worries and troubles did indeed seem to fade away for a while and it didn't last. There were valleys as well as mountaintops in my spiritual trek. Now, you may not have been imprisoned for your faith, but you may well have been frozen out of some social circles because of choosing to follow Jesus. You may have faced family pressure. Why don't you get a real job? Why don't you pursue the Australian dream, the lifestyle dream, rather than go to theological college and this talk of going into full-time ministry? Those pressures are real. And the writer of Hebrews wants his readers to know that Christian life takes endurance. And if we want to be those who enter into rest and not fall off the climbing wall of faith, we need to have a clear vision of where we're headed. We'll also need some tools to strengthen us for the journey and we need to know who is leading us on this journey. So that's the three-point outline for those of you who are taking notes for preaching. Firstly, where are we headed Eight times in this chapter we're warned about or exhorted to enter God's rest. We're not to be like the Israelites who left Egypt under Moses' leadership but then grumbled on the journey and failed to reach the promised land. Chapter 3 was dominated by Psalm 95. And just in case you missed it, uh, it sort of gets a reprise in uh, chapter 4 in verses 3 and 7. God declared in his anger, they'll never enter my rest. In verse 7, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. If you grow cynical or mistrusting of God's promises and power, you'll likely not reach the promised rest. That goal that we see in verses 3 and 4 has continuity with the Sabbath rest that God instituted on the seventh day of creation. But then he says it's also like the rest on entering a promised land, a place of safety and abundance and community and blessing. But the warning is there from Psalm 95. In verse 8 of this chapter, it tells us Joshua's generation didn't reach the ultimate rest that God promised. We know that God's people were hot and cold, faithful, then faithless, even after they got into the promised land. So there's still a future rest. And we sort of have this, this irony that verse 3 seems to say Christians have reached the goal. Now, we who have believed enter that rest. Good, we're in the rest. But then verse 6 talks about this goal as something still future. It remains for some to enter that rest. And what we're dealing with is the paradoxical nature of Christian life. We're in between. We're in a, a now and a not yet phase of God's rescue operation. We've been given a taste of rest. We can rest from trying to achieve our own salvation when we turn to Christ and trust in him. And salvation in Christ is an easy yoke and it's a light burden. But there's still a better rest ahead. And that better rest has some resonances with Sabbath in the Garden of Eden. It's going to involve communion with God. Human relationships will be in balance. Creation will be restored. There will be harmony. It will be a shalom 
kind of rest in the fullest sense. There'll be peace and well-being and wholeness. And the problem we face is that there are so many distractions in life today from focusing on eternal rest. Life in Australia is by world and by historical standards pretty cushy. People can get easily fooled into settling into shadow rests, imitation rests, nice holidays, long weekends, Bunnings and Ikea lifestyle upgrades. (laughs) Hebrews says keep your eyes on the main prize. There's a better rest, a better promise, a better tomorrow when you stay obedient to God where you keep practising godliness, where you delight in bringing others into God's rest rather than letting them have a fool's sleep in the false security of material comfort and suburban ease. And so the attitude that matters for Christians is one of pilgrimage. See, pilgrims set out on a rather long journey. It's not just a day trek. It can take weeks or months or years even. And pilgrims don't settle down at the hostels along the route. They keep pressing onwards. And as students and staff at a theological college, we need that reminder too because it's it's kind of nice to be here, isn't it? It's refreshing to be among so many like-minded believers who delight in knowing God, who, who like to dwell in his word. This is a place of equipping. It's a pit stop along the way. It's not the destination. Learning needs application to be complete. And that leads us rather nicely into some well-known verses of Scripture about the power of Scripture, verses 12 and 13. For the word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Do you have a mental image of a double-edged sword? Is it sort of gleaming and clean and precise? I'm not sure that's the original idea. See, swords that penetrate to the bone are not delicate and nice tools. They're weapons of war. And the image of something penetrating to joints and marrow, that's a battlefield scene in which the one who is cut becomes intensely aware of the danger therein and very, very conscious of their mortality. Indeed, the Israelites who shrank back in Joshua's time, many of them died at the sword at the hands of the Amalekites and Canaanites. And the writer of Hebrews wants his audience to realise they are in spiritual danger if they drift away or fall back from persevering faith. It's a blunt warning. Any social disadvantages we face from following Jesus, whether losing friends or job opportunities or family tensions, they're pretty light by comparison to eternal judgment. Now, a friend of mine is uh, booked for a medical investigation this Friday and in preparation they have to drink a special fluid. 
which is going to help the diagnostic scans pinpoint any area of disease. And God's word is that kind of diagnostic tool. If we open ourselves honestly and humbly before it, God will reveal our hidden sins, our unrepentant hearts, our tendencies towards self-justification and pride and lust and narcissism and any number of other spiritual sicknesses. Our pilgrimage of faith is one which demands brutal honesty about our own spiritual state, our own weaknesses. Only when we let scripture interrogate our motives and attitudes are we going to be purified sufficiently to serve God wholeheartedly and for our whole lives. So if that sounds like an advertisement for guided spiritual formation, good. If you need to find a spiritual director or a mentor or a prayer partner to be accountable to, good. Put aside your discomfort and allow God's word to diagnose your spiritual condition and then to lead you on a path to healing and wholeness. Finally, this passage of Hebrews directs our eyes to Jesus as our pilgrimage leader. Verses 14 and 15, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to empathise with us, with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. A priest represents the people to God and God to the people. Hannah delved into that last week. But we see here that Jesus, as a great high priest, also models the life and journey of faith to the ones he's leading. Christ himself has been on a journey that has highs and lows, triumphs and tragedies. But in every case, the low came before the high and the down came before the up. Hebrews opened in chapter 1 with Jesus in this exalted position above the angels in relationship with God the Father, co-ruler of the universe, seated at God's right hand. And then in chapter 2, verse 9, he descends and for a little while was made lower than the angels. The incarnation is a time of being lower, of being among sinful, tempted humanity on earth. And so in chapter 4, in verse 15, we have it affirmed that Jesus is a high priest who's able to empathise with our weakness, one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet did not sin. And this experience of humanity is then the basis for him to be appointed as high priest, and we'll get that in Hebrews chapters 5 to 7, and it's also the basis for his once-for-all sacrifice, which Hebrews 8 to 10 works through. Because he stepped down from heaven and was obedient to God's word on earth, he is qualified to step up to ascend to heaven. Hebrews 4.14, we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus came down in order to lift us up 
So when Hebrews exhorts us to set our eyes on Jesus and to run with perseverance the race set before us, it's asking us to also embrace humility, to embrace suffering, to embrace hardship as the precursor to entering heavenly rest. And that's hard going when our society constantly tells us to seek pleasure and avoid pain. If you're in a challenging workplace, well, leave it. There's something better out there. If you can't cook a master chef meal, that's why you have Uber Eats. If your friends don't fulfill you and help you to be absolutely fabulous, then dump them and hang out with a trendier, classier clique. That way of thinking is fatal to Christian discipleship. The life of faith is one in which we follow Jesus to the hard places, where we make tough choices, where we turn our backs on easy pleasures, where we take up our cross and follow Jesus daily. At the moment in the United States, there's a Christian campaign running called He Gets Us. Uh, this campaign got a lot of attention because they paid the uh, millions of dollars needed to get a spot during the Super Bowl. And one of the video clips that they broadcast is called The Struggle. It shows scenes of people in poverty, in minimum wage jobs, in, in derelict buildings, people under financial stress, people sleeping rough, people with chronic illness. And it says these are the ones that Jesus came to reach and to love. And to love them, he had to be with them. He had to live like they lived. It's like a modern-day snapshot of Jesus' words in Luke 9. Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And Jesus didn't just know economic hardship. When his friend Lazarus died, Jesus experienced grief. When the crowds turned against him, Jesus knew abandonment. When his own siblings thought he was out of his mind in Mark 3, he knew what it was like to have family misunderstand and demean him. In so many ways, Jesus knows our weaknesses and has been tested or tempted to give up, just as we are. And that's why Hebrews talks about his capacity to empathise with us in our weakness. He knows what it's like to be lonely, to be betrayed, to be mocked. But Jesus didn't shrink back. He didn't fall away. He persevered until his mission was complete and his work done. Jesus gets us. He gets your loneliness, he gets your chronic fatigue. He understands your silent addiction. He gets your fears and your frustrations and your struggle to fit in. He gets you. He gets humanity because he shared our warts and all messy, vulnerable humanity. And God planned it that way. Just as Hebrews chapter 2 verse 10 put it, Jesus God made Jesus the pioneer of our salvation, perfect through suffering. And so he brings many sons and daughters to glory. Pain before gain, guts before glory. 
And verse 16 brings the message home. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So don't be surprised by trials or suffering. We're following the pathway that Jesus established before us. He stepped down before he was lifted up. His pilgrimage through testing opens up access to God's grace, to God's benefits, to God's provisions for us. And as we seek to enter God's rest, rather than being deceived by the passing comforts offered in this world, as we keep our eyes on the prize of heavenly rest, we find that we access God's grace when we turn to God's word when we open ourselves before it and we let it touch our inmost thoughts and motives and refine us and renew us for the journey. And we find that we have a great high priest who empathises with us in our weakness. He gets us. He loves us. He meets us in our moments of need and gives us more grace to keep going, to not fall back. And he will hold us as we hold firmly to him. Amen.